hopefully you have the bulletin sheet, and uh, we'll look at uh, where we're going with that in just, just a minute. The focus this morning is on rulers to gauge your life. Rulers to gauge your life. And I picked the word rulers instead of measures or because the word rule is used in here and it's used in a specific context of you directing your life to be under the control of certain things. And so we're going to look in Colossians chapter 3. And uh, I'm not going to go into the background of this letter and into the background of this passage. I want to jump right into it. But if you've missed some of the previous weeks, those messages are available. Right now, you can't access them at our website. We've changed the process of changing some things around. But if you want to get a CD of it, you can. We can make those available. It will soon be on the website. Um, Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 15. Follow along with me, please, as I read. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. Father, as we look to your word today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. I pray that we would be attentive and listen, uh, even as uh, the songwriters, the hymn writers said in that, speak, O Lord, to listen intelligently and intentionally and then live out what we hear. So we pray that your spirit would challenge us, speak to us, encourage us, strengthen us, convict us, work in our hearts in a way that we are changed for having been here in your house on your day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at these rulers, I'm going to give you several. The first is intentionally aligning yourself with the Lord. Intentionally aligning yourself with the Lord. Uh, He talks about uh, letting the peace of God rule in your heart. So uh, if you're worried about the note sheet not exactly lining up, I'll, I'll get to the note sheet in a minute. I'll let you know when to fill things in. You can add notes on the other side and fill in stuff. But, uh, but as we go to each section of the note sheet, I'll, I'll encourage you to look at it and write it down. But for now, just think about aligning yourself. What does it mean to align? Have you ever seen railroad tracks? It looks, as they go away, it looks like they get closer together, right? It's not. It's just... Uh, but railroad tracks have to be aligned. What if they get off a little? I was on, uh, on Camp Pendleton when we had a hurricane come ashore, and it took a railroad track, and this side of the railroad track curled that way, and this side of the railroad track curled this way, and they couldn't run trains through for weeks. They had to come in and cut out all those tracks and change the ties and put in new tracks, and, and it, it, the hurricane had just decimated uh, the, tra- the train uh, tracks and train travel through that part of California. You have to be aligned with the Lord. You have to be engaged with him. Uh, The the peace of God that he says he wants to rule in our hearts, 
That's the peace with God that comes through salvation. When you're no longer an enemy of God because you've asked the Lord to forgive your sins and save your soul. And now God has brought you into his family. You're no longer an enemy. You're an intimate with him. You're on personal terms and names with God the Father. He brings you in. So that's the peace with God. But then we have peace of God that goes through ongoing fellowship as we're connecting with God and even with one another. Because he says um, uh, in verse 15, the peace of God to the which you're called in one body. So uh, there's uh, that connection to the body too. And notice in the connection to the body, he says, your, let, let, the peace of God rule in your hearts. That's plural. So it doesn't just rule in your heart and your heart and your heart and your heart and your heart. It rules in your heart so that it has control when we're all together. And he says, you are called. We're appointed or under the authority of another as we serve in the body. And then he gives some instructions of things that we can do. And we'll get to that a little bit later. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you're called. So intentionally aligning yourself with God. That means church in my life becomes just as important as it was in Christ's life. And Christ identified himself so strongly with the church. He says he gave himself so that we could have this assembly And he calls this assembly gathered together his body. You can't get more connected than that. Christ thought being in church was very important. But we align our other values with his values. Intentionally aligning yourself with the Lord. The second part of letting his peace rule is trusting the Lord even when life hurts. This is a very copy of a very famous painting... Uh, from the Depression time, uh, not the, um, the uh, when was the Great Dust Bowl? I can't remember. But, but when the, the plains of Kansas and Nebraska and all the plains stayed, they, it just became a dust bowl because they hadn't been rotating their crops and, and uh, pestilence came in. And, and this was a family fleeing, going, trying to get somewhere where they could actually sustain. I don't know if you can see it in the picture, but there's a mom and the mom is sitting by her little boy who's sitting by the mom. And then there's a little girl in the mom's lap And the dad's kind of collapsed against a fence there. I can't imagine as a dad trying to figure out how I'm going to feed my kids. We have been greatly blessed in our generation, in our country, to have that be almost a non-issue. If we had to, we could go for a couple of weeks without buying any other food. Because we have some in our pantry and some in our fridge and some in our freezer. And and we could if we had to. Uh, But we can trust God even when life hurts. Let the peace of God rule in your heart, Paul says. This means let it be in control. Let the peace of God be in control in your life so that you're aligned with him and you're trusting him. Let it be the determining factor as you evaluate the circumstances of your life. 
Is today a good day or a bad day? Does not depend on how your health is today or how your finances are today or how your circumstances are today. Is today a good day or a bad day is defined by you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Every day is a good day when you walk with the Lord. You have that eternal relationship with Him. A man once said to his old pastor, older than me, of course, you know, uh, a young man my age said to this old pastor, you know, Gary's age, and, and this, the, this man said to his pastor, and he said, pastor said, how you doing? He said, I'm, I'm doing pretty good under the circumstances. And this old pastor went crazy. Under the circumstances? What are you doing under the circumstances? You're a child of God. You're supposed to live above the circumstances. I love that response. The life of the Christian is not supposed to be characterized by worry or fear, but by peace and trust. Okay. Now, in your bulletin, the first part of the bullet, that peace ruler, uh, uh, there's two lines there that I started in gray. Now, this is where you honestly evaluate your level of peace and your awareness of God's presence in your life. So if you admit to some anxiety or frustration, uh, you honestly experience peace a little bit more than you experience frustration, then this is what your graph is going to look like. Okay? Peace is a little bit more uh, than anxiety. But if you worry a lot, you're anxious and fearful and fretful, your graph might look like this. Guess what? It doesn't matter what it looks like right now. You need to plot it out, write it down, mark it there, and figure out. This is a tool for you to use to help you gauge and adjust your life. As a believer, you should be trusting the Lord even when life hurts. Now, the next part of that gauge is thankfulness, and, and we'll get... Sorry. Yes, I had two of these. We'll get to thankful, being thankful in just a moment. But we, we need to, number three, the, the rule, gratitude for what we have rather than grumbling for what we don't. How many of you would love to be eating lunch up there with these guys? This is their lunch break. I, I don't think Jeff could eat up there. He'd be laying down, straddling that beam like this. They'd have to pull him down to the end to get him off of that thing. He, he wouldn't let go. Uh, my wife wouldn't either. Uh, back in the day, I would have run along it. Now I, I'd be a little more cautious. Look at the end of verse 15. What are the last three words? If you're in the same translation, I am. Be ye thankful. All right. You think that's enough? Maybe Paul really wanted us to get this. Look at uh, verse 17. The last phrase, giving thanks to God, the Father by Christ. Giving thanks to God, the Father by Christ, by him. Be thankful. <laughs> See, the truth is, Christians should be the least Fussy people on the planet. 
Is that really how it works? Not always. There's a lot of Christians that are fussy. I remember uh, talking in, to a young man who was going to become a deacon in our church in, when I was in another community. And, and I wanted to prepare him for some of the hardships and some of the joys of serving in deacon ministry. And I said, you know, when I was a kid, my dad said, some of the meanest people you'll ever meet in your life, the meanest, most cantankerous people you'll ever meet in this life, you'll meet in church. And some of the nicest, most gracious, most kind people you will meet in church. I had a pastor tell me once, I have never, ever, ever been hurt by a Christian. I've been hurt by believers, but they weren't Christian when they did it. <laughs> be Christian means to be like Christ. And so we, we need to be more grateful and more thankful. How many of you parents who have kids at home, especially younger kids, uh, sometimes those kids will complain about the meal? Ever experienced that? Oh, I don't want to eat that. We had a rule at our table that if you complained about it, you got more of it. Um, they didn't complain much till maybe three days later <laughs> when it was, might be safe. What was that song? They grumble on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, grumble on Thursday too, grumble on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, grumble the whole week through. That's the way some people are. We're not supposed to be that way. And so here's, here's a challenge for you. Don't write anything yet. You've got to listen to the whole thing. In the thankfulness block, please write down three things you would be thankful for no matter what. No matter how difficult life could be, no matter how difficult, three things you would be thankful for no matter what. Not, oh, I'm thankful for this delicious meal. What if you didn't have a delicious meal? I'm thankful for this homeowner over our head. What if you lost your house? I'm thankful for our car. What if you lost your car? Three things you could be thankful for no matter what. Okay. Now, somebody in this section, tell me one. Jerry. I'm thankful for my husband. For your husband, no matter what. So what, what if your husband passed away? Would you still be thankful that you had all these years with him? Lord willing, that won't happen. We're all planning to go up together. Jim and I made that deal with the Lord a few years ago, but who knows whether the Lord's going to keep his end of it. But yeah, hey, thankful for that relationship. Somebody over here. Salvation. Somebody over here. Either section. I didn't hear it. Coffee. All right, somebody reasonable over here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't drink coffee. I'm a Christian. but uh, <laughs> I actually have a severe food allergy to caffeine, so I can't have coffee. But, but something, what if you didn't have coffee? What if, you, what if your life was like um, Habakkuk? Everything failed. The crops failed. You lost everything. Uh, something you could be thankful for then. 
Hey, no, 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 over here. Was that somebody in the back? Was that you, Alice? No? Oh, okay, prayer. That God wants to hear us, and when we pray, God listens. Hey, sometimes we can't get our spouse to listen or our kids to listen or our dog to listen. That's why I don't have a dog. And, and we, God listens every time we pray. He doesn't always do what we want. But see, when you're going through a difficult day, you need to stop and think. Like, I have some breathing troubles, and this humid weather makes it so much worse. And uh, I was going to do Kathy a favor the other night. I was on my way home, and it was so windy, and, and I just couldn't do it. I just went straight home. I went inside, and I said, I'm sorry, I, di- I didn't do it. Uh, but I can still breathe. It's harder. I can still breathe. I live in a land where I can get medicine that helps my breathing. I can go into a house and, and be blocked away from it. You know, in some cultures, they have windows, but they don't have glass. And so nothing can stop the blowing wind. We have so much for which we can be thankful. Especially American Christians. We live in one of the greatest nations with one of the greatest standards of living. And we walk with Christ every day. We should be grateful and thankful. It's so important the Apostle Paul mentions it twice in just a couple of verses. Twice. Be thankful. And then verse 17. um, Give thanks to God. He wants us to get this down. Number four. We need to be connected to the body. We talked about this a little earlier. We need to be connected to the body. Look at how, I love that picture. I forgot that was going to come up. Connected to the body. Look at what he says. In your connection to the body. What is it, what what do we mean by the body? What do we mean by the church? Okay, not just believers. The church is the believers gathered together. That's what makes it the body of Christ. You're connected with Christ everywhere you go, but you are not the church everywhere you go. You are the church when we meet together. It's the assembling together that actually makes it church. In our assembling together, we need to be connected with one another. And here's some of the things we should do. Uh, Look in verse 16. Let the word of Christ... Uh, dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Here's how we should... Teaching and admonishing one another. So, if you were here for Sunday school and you're now here for church, um, how many people have been teaching you so far today? Well, Mr. Pennock taught Sunday school. I'm preaching now. Did Benjamin teach you a little when he came up and shared about the missions thing? Did their song, that Benjamin and Merritt, did that teach you a little about being thankful and focusing on thankfulness? Did uh, Jeff teach you a little when he got up and encouraged and, and challenged you and shared something? Teaching is not just I stand and I speak 
And you sit on the edge of your seat and hang on every word. And when I'm done, you say, oh, thank God for our pastor. No, no, no. Teaching is we talk, we interact, we listen, we engage, and we can learn from a lot of different people. I've often said the most important person in the church is not always the pastor. Sometimes the most important person is the one who stands in the foyer and a visitor comes up and says, where's the bathroom? And they can point it out right away. Sometimes the most important person is the one in the nursery watching the kids. The one who speaks and interacts. And, and during the sharing time earlier when Jeff had to share how God had worked and helped in our lives, you were sharing and listening that's part of the teaching process of communicating and learning from one another. That's teaching. And then what's the next part he says in the middle of verse 16? Teaching and admonishing. Some translations say encouraging. It means more than encouraging. It's also warning. Oh, So like, you know, don't, don't lean out over the edge. You could fall. Don't touch that. It's hot. How many of you have ever told a kid, don't touch that, it's hot, and then they touched it and burned themselves? It was girls, wasn't it? No, no. Might have been, might have been, but probably guys. They, they tend to be more, okay. Admonishing one another. So how do you admonish a brother in Christ? Well, something you could do, you could say, you know, I've missed you in church. Are things going Okay. Uh, you, you could see somebody, maybe you see a, a, you're an older person and you see a young parent kind of be harsh with one of their kids. And you could encourage them to not be quite so harsh with the kid. You have to correct, but even parents are supposed to speak the truth in love. There has to be correction and discipline, but not bullying. And, or somebody's really discouraged. You can go up to them and in the spirit of the Lord say, suck it up, buttercup. Oh, maybe not. Maybe you could go to them and you could say, uh, can I encourage you? Can I help you? I learned that from somebody in this room, by the way. So, <laughs> can I encourage you? Can I help you? Hey, praise the Lord that you're breathing. Praise the Lord you're here. And so he's, oh, I got so many problems. Yeah, but someday you won't have any. We'll be with the Lord. So encouraging, teaching, and admonishing one another. You know what that means? That means even though Harold may be the oldest man in this room and one of the nine oldest men on the planet, Harold <laughs> can still learn from one of the youngest ones in this room. And he can be encouraged by one of the youngest ones in this room. It's not a matter of age. It's not a matter of seniority. It's not a matter of whether you're male or female. It's, this is what the body does. We connect, we interact, we engage, we encourage, we strengthen, we build up, and, and we work on it together. So uh, the church family is supposed to be important to us because it's vitally important to Christ. And he thinks and says and teaches and, and his apostles taught 
that your engagement and your involvement in church is one of the barometers of your spiritual health. Are you fully connected to the body? Then number five, bringing the word home. So you see in your bulletin there's scripture, but bringing the word home so that you're not just learning it in church. You're taking it with you. Uh, look at uh, what he says. Uh, there's a word that he uses specifically. Uh, let the word of Christ what? Dwell. What does that word mean? Okay, it means more than live. Dwell is like make a home. So, for instance, when I was in the Marine Corps and I went to boot camp, I had a bunk that I slept on back then, Quonset huts with dirt floors we had to sweep every day. We were so excited when we got to move into a barracks that had concrete floor. Yay! Uh, anyway, uh, boot camp, I had a place to sleep and a trunk to keep my stuff. There was no homeness about that at all. None. I recently stayed in a hotel, had a place to sleep, place to shower, place to keep my stuff. I was glad I had it. It wasn't home. Home was when I got back home. Let the word of God make its home in you. See, when you make a place your home, what do you do? You, you maybe put some pictures on the wall. If you've got little kids or grandkids, you put their artwork on your refrigerator. You, you, you put furniture that's comfortable to you, a bed, a, a chair. A, 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 you know, most guys love to have a recliner chair. And, uh, and most, a lot of families, the guy's recliner chair is his sacred space. I remember once when my oldest daughter wouldn't get out of my chair, so I flipped it over. She got out, amazingly. And I sat it back down and sat down in my chair, and I looked over at my wife, and she wasn't doing this. I won't show you the look, because I can't make it look like that. She, she just gave me that look. Dwell is you make it your home. So when the Word of God becomes homey in you, it becomes a home, a dwelling in you, then you're taking what you have learned and you're bringing it into your life and, and you're, you don't just have a casual acquaintance with the Word of God. You live with it daily. So, and let it dwell richly, abundantly in you. Let it have a distinctive impact in your life. You should be able to see changes in your life over time because you're learning and growing in your knowledge and understanding and application of the Word of God. So that you can look back even a few years ago when you were fairly mature in Christ, maybe. Some of you may be newer Christians than that. But a few years ago, five years ago, you were mature in Christ. But now there's growth that's continuing because you're continuing to get into the Word, listen to the Word, follow the Holy Spirit. Um, learning the truths of Scripture and letting it shape the values of your life. Uh, learn it wisely, it says. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Two. Wisdom, the skillful use of the knowledge you have of the Word of God. See, we have a classic illustration from Scripture of people who really knew what the Word said, but it didn't make a difference in their lives. When the wise men showed up in Jerusalem and Herod called 
the wise men from the east showed up. Herod called the wise men from Israel together, and he asked them, where was the Messiah supposed to be born? Did they know? They knew the answer, didn't they? They said, in Bethlehem of Judea. And they quoted from the Old Testament scripture. Now, they had wise men come in saying, we are here to worship the one that was born, the Messiah. And their wise men knew right where he would be born. But none of them went with them. What should have happened, there should have been a pandemonium in Jerusalem, a joy over the Messiah coming. There should have been a huge parade down to Bethlehem while they looked and found him. And instead, the wise men came in alone and they left alone. The other people who knew the word of God didn't let it make a difference in their lives. And Christians do that. Christians know their body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. But they take drinks and eat food and take medicine or drugs, illegal or legal, that aren't good for their body. And they do it anyway, even when they know their body belongs to the Lord. They know the scripture is alive and vibrant and can change hearts, but it sits on a shelf and gathers dust between Sundays. One of the saddest funerals I ever went to. A girl stood up, gave a testimony in church, in the church service, that her dad would come out of church and he would take his Bible and he'd toss it under the back of the back seat. Remember the old cars had the shelves back there? He would toss his Bible back there and then the next Sunday he'd pull it out and use it. Well, if that's all you're doing with your Bible, that's not enough. It's the Word of God. He wants to speak into your life. So, in that scripture block on the page, write down a scripture verse that you have read or studied or memorized or meditated on this week that has influenced your thoughts and actions. Not something from two years ago or 20 years ago or 60 years ago or last week. Uh, this week, this past week, that you've memorized, studied, read, memorized, meditated on that has impacted your thoughts and actions this week. Number six. Another rule is music. He says, uh, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Music. In the early church, members did not have their own copies of Scripture like we do. And on our Trek Club, I say, If you don't have a Bible, sit next to someone who does. And we always have at, at least one Bible for every two kids. We usually have a lot of extra. So then they can look on somebody else who has the Bible and share and see it. But in the early church, they didn't have that. They were teaching and preaching and communicating. And one of the tools they used was music. And they would teach the music to help people understand the theology. We had some songs like that here today. In fact... We did. So in, in your blank, there's a, a blank in there for song or hymn. And I want you to write down the title or words to one of the songs that we sang or you heard this morning that really resonated with your soul. Write down. 
one of the songs. You say, well, I don't remember the title. Well, maybe you can think of the name of the song. Maybe not. Write it down. Either the title or the words that impacted your life. We used to use what we called propaganda songs with our kids. We'd teach them songs like, I will obey right away. Never asking why, never with a sigh, I will obey right away. And uh, we were teaching them about life through the songs. We do that in our kids' choir. We do that in our Sunday school. We do that in our children's church. We do that in our congregation. We teach the Word of God through songs that have meaningful spiritual truth. So, share a song that really resonated with you today. Somebody. Okay. Alice, is that what you were going to say? Yeah. Imagine what he went through. And in the, in the ocean crossing, going through the same area where his daughters died, he wrote the words to that song. Like sea billows, he knew exactly what he was writing about. It is well with my soul. He'll see them again. And he knew it. Number seven, another gauge, living for his glory. (laughs) Living for his glory. If you're living for the glory of the Lord, then you're willing to make sacrifices. Like the Apostle Paul, you can say, it doesn't matter the circumstances I'm in, I will be content and I will rejoice in the Lord. Paul said that to the church in Philippi. Uh, You're eager to see the Savior. Even if you have to die in the process, doesn't mean you're going to take your life. But even if you die in the process, you're eager to see your Savior. So the Apostle Paul could also say, to me, to live as Christ, to die as gain. You could say that with him. Uh, You don't focus on personal achievement or personal comfort. But rather, you're striving to give glory to God in your thoughts and in your actions. Look at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're living for his glory. So sacrifices aren't so sacrificial. Difficulties aren't so difficult. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Even as correction, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We find his grace sufficient for our needs. So there's another block there on live. As you look at this, I want you to honestly evaluate how often you made decisions based on truly seeking God's glory or based on seeking your own comfort. Truly seeking God's glory or seeking your own comfort. Like the great athlete or musician who trains diligently for the competition or the performance. Or the artist whose work is about to be unveiled. uh, Believers should focus on being prepared for that glorious day when we stand before the Lord. And, And we might hear those most wonderful words we could ever hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Living for his glory, not your comfort. 
So if you look in the bulletin, there is one more question there. That question is, what will you do this week to change your life so that you can love and serve God more fully? Adapting a couple of questions from a well-known writer who was not a Christian but wrote about practical things in life. What one thing could you do that you aren't doing now that if you did it on a regular basis would make a tremendous positive spiritual difference in your life? What one thing could you start doing this week that would make that difference? And conversely, what one thing could you stop doing that you have been doing that if you stop doing it, it would make a tremendous positive spiritual difference in your life this week? What will you do this week to change your life so that you can love and serve God more fully? See, these are a few rulers, rulers to gauge your life. Just a few. And honestly, you can take this counsel from the Apostle Paul and you can take the notes that you had made and you can make wise adjustments to your life for your good and God's glory. Or you can just walk away and say, oh, I enjoyed that. That was enjoyable today. I'm glad I went. And then it won't make much difference in your life. The effectiveness of a sermon has nothing to do with the guy who's doing the preaching. The effectiveness of a sermon has everything to do with the people who are listening and who choose to change their lives, to align with the Lord more closely, to live for his glory and not their own comfort. What will you do? Paul gave us some gauges that we can evaluate our lives to let God's peace rule in our heart, to let the word of God dwell in us, to teach and admonish and connect with each other, to seek his glory, not our own, to be grateful, thankful people, even though we live in a a world that hurts. We're still grateful. And we're still thankful. And we serve an awesome God whose love cannot even be fully understood or explained. And someday we're going to go to live with him in a place that's beyond our capacity to understand. Streets of gold so pure, they're nearly transparent. We can't imagine how great it's going to look. How wonderful it will be to look in the eyes of the one who died for me and see my Savior, first of all. Hey, we're going to sing all four verses of a song. You can start out sitting down. All four verses of this song called Ancient Words. Words of Scripture that we now take to put into our heart and life. And Ben's going to come and lead us in this song. And Ben, after the third verse, maybe we'll stand up. And I don't know if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. We would love to show you how to do that today. And you can come to the front or slip to the back. We'll have somebody show you that. If you're a believer and need to make a change in your life, we'll do it now. Finish that chart. Gives you some things to work on and think about. But what you don't want is to just be casual about church 
casual about the word of God, casual about your faith, because we serve a great and terrible God. There's nothing casual about him. He is awesome. He is terrifying. He is vibrant, and he wants to have a dynamic relationship with you, not just a, hey, God, I'm glad you're there, but a real connected closeness. So as we sing about the Word of God, making it part of our lives, really mean what you say. Then after we've sung these four verses, Ben's going to dismiss us in prayer. I'm going to be in the back. If you need to trust Christ as your Savior, you can slip back there and talk to me. And uh, sing your heart out to the Lord.